Let's welcome in Scott Kimball, the co-head of fixed income at BMO Capital Asset Management. Scott, good to have you with us uh, to discuss today's central bank activity, the policy decision, and thanks for taking the time on a busy day. Let's start with how inflation, uh, there's some debate in terms of whether it is or isn't going to be transient, but clearly the COVID-19 economy uh, is here to stay. Yeah, I think that we all would have to agree that, you know, when we come out of these, there's plenty of history that we come out of these uh, distressed periods, whether it's a financial crisis or in this case, it was a viral outbreak. You know, there's a large imbalance. We see that supply gets shut off uh, as demand falls precipitously. But then as demand surges back, there's a short, there's a shortness in supply. And we see uh, a lot of growth and we see a lot of upward pressure on inflation. So the transient nature that the Fed is referring to when it comes to inflation is this uh, return to normalcy where the U.S. economy is going to make its gains based on its own inertia. So, for instance, the extent to which the labor market can recover organically, the extent to which things like the automobile and this, you know, the seasonally annually adjusted sales rate for cars normalizes, that's a big part of production. Uh, and restaurant traffic and travel and leisure and those things get back, uh, get back on firmer and more sustainable footing. Uh, there are a lot of indications, though, as we see what's happened to things like lumber prices, that uh, as some of this begins to wash through, we're starting to see that transient effect start to come uh, through to market. Um, you would expect that that would lead to uh, rising inflation expectations, uh, which from here have been very stable. They've risen up to now, but they've been pretty stable and perhaps higher Treasury rates. That hasn't happened. So the big question is, if inflation is here and we market consensus is that it's largely going to stay, at least up and around the Fed's target, what is our read? What's our takeaway on why Treasury yields are being so stubborn? And that's the bigger question I think we have to answer. I think uh, chapter one of that uh, is just where valuations are in assets broadly, uh, whether you're looking at high yield corporate bonds, uh, investment grade corporate bonds, or stocks. Uh, and the second aspect is, you know, what headlines are starting to come through? We're hearing lots about the Delta variant, and the CDC is out, and they're giving another adjustment to their their uh, their view on on social distancing, suggesting now masks need to be, or can be worn indoors again, or should be worn indoors again for certain businesses, and that disproportionately affects small business. So just as we start to see inflation expectations rise and the Fed start to acknowledge it, we're starting to see some headwinds that are making some downward pressure on those expectations, and it's probably what's keeping rates depressed. Okay, I want to talk about some of those headwinds because uh, in terms of the fact that we have been, as you mentioned, uh, while things have been firming a little bit and a little bit uh, more uh, stable footing or sustainable footing, but uh, this week the IMF, uh, they actually commented, they said in their World Economic Outlook that, well, it was titled Fault Lines Widen in the Global Recovery. They said the global economy is projected to grow 6% in 2021, 4.9% in 2022, a little bit higher here in the U.S. Uh, those levels were unchanged from April 2021, but they said uh, they, they, they said that, well, basically emerging markets and developing economies have been marked down uh, through 2021 because, well, uh, especially emerging Asia, they said that they're seeing uh, fault lines, basically certain areas that have higher vaccination rates than others. Uh, what do these fault line means ultimately for the economy here in the U.S.? So there's a couple different takeaways. One is that the global economy, and we talk about emerging markets, we, we have to begin the conversation about China. Uh, a lot of headlines suggesting, you know, a lot of challenges to, you know, China's growth rate and that they're having to tighten the clamps on some regulatory stuff that they've been looser on in the past. So that, that tends to put downward pressure on uh, emerging market growth expectations. 
uh, as we look at vaccination rates in the U.S. and we look at vaccination rates globally in developed markets, a lot of evidence that developed markets are ahead of the curve on that, which is uh, which is typical. Those, those drugs were largely developed and distributed first in developed markets. But we're starting to see that the local economies, there was a story out today about New York offering a $100 incentive to get people to reaccelerate in vaccinations. Uh, and you see some other chatter from some other states and some municipalities that are that are doing similar choices. Um, what we would say about that is there's been no question that the vaccine has a read through to consumer confidence and mm -hmm. that the more consumers are confident in uh, vaccinations and the efficacy of those vaccinations that feeds through into consumer spending. We're 70 percent consumption. Uh, if we start hitting a, a ceiling where we start to have a lack of confidence in the COVID recovery, and that can be tied back to the fault lines, as the IMF would call it, uh, that could poten potentially put forth some headwinds. Although we we really feel very strongly that 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 the U.S. is uh, particularly as it relates to our uh, our, our economies in the major major metropolitan areas are, are going to show a, a lot of resistance okay. uh, to a further downdraft. And we think the U.S. economy is is pre is on pretty firm footing, all things considered. So not to be too concerned at this point in terms of the recent CDC kind of reversing some of their mask uh, recommendations. I mean, at this point. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to necessarily slow some of the economic recovery that we've seen, at least assuming that it doesn't become something more and turn into some sort of a, a further restrictions in terms of lockdowns. Yeah, our, our case is that it would really take some it really would take another uh, mandated lockdown scenario to yeah. really get the U.S. consumer We're to far pull from back that. again. Very far from that, thankfully. Um, and, you know, this was been this has been a serious period in our in our, in our history. And. I think we've learned a lot from it, but I think one thing that rings through is we always come back and say e economics and the underpinnings of it is, is, is drives behaviors as well. And mm -hmm. I think that now that consumers are, are back out in the marketplace, they're spending money and they're seeing their businesses start to realize regaining their top line. They're starting to realize, they're starting to see wage growth and those margin expansions start coming back to the economy. It is going to be a very difficult thing to put back in the bottle and consumer confidence in the U.S. drives consumption. Let's talk a little bit about China. You mentioned uh, some of the concerns related to the crackdown. Uh, in terms of the U.S. markets, some are saying they're somewhat complacent at this point. Uh, uh, the market necessarily isn't super complacent, I guess, uh, in terms of, well, some of the inflation fears, uh, fears that we see, but uh, the growth out outlook, seeing some pressure, ultimately we've seen rates lower. Uh, how much of a concern is the China crackdown in terms of the bigger picture? I go back to the 2015 study, uh, case study on, on how, uh, how how much pressure uh, China can exert into the marketplace because of their negative a negative read through to their economy has such a negative read through to you know things like commodity prices uh, principally. Uh, so we saw that with you know oil and gas has had its uh, tumultuous history uh, just very recently in the past you know 12 to 18 months. Uh, but also things like copper, et cetera, where they're, where they're in zinc, where they're, they're big buyers for their manufacturing base. So uh, what we would say is this, is the market here in the U.S. is largely distracted by the Fed. Okay. Um, and this is where it's an important thing that we think is being overlooked, which is that the Fed may remove some accommodation in terms of tapering. But if you look at the supply of mortgages being printed versus the demand from institutional investors, there's, I mean, there's, there's not going to be some big imbalance. Uh, mortgage spreads should be pretty stable. There, there, they are. There is more than enough uh, demand to to push forward with uh, plenty of liquidity in that marketplace. The Fed funds rate, we don't think, is a 2021 discussion. It may not even be a 2022 discussion, in our opinion. 
Uh, and that means people are focusing too much on it. And when you're focused so much on the Fed, let's ask the question is, what's the, what's the Fed saying their terminal point is? They're not talking about getting to a restrictive policy. They're talking about going from highly emergency accommodation mm -hmm. to still pretty accommodating. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit too much of a read into the Fed, and that is causing investors to overlook and spend less time assessing what could be potential fallout uh, from things like uh, the situation in China that we mentioned. Uh, that's that's a pretty important one. But also, you know, falling asleep and getting a little complacent um, on some of the data we're seeing, uh, you know, coming out of Europe as it relates to COVID and some of the spikes that uh, have occurred in some places that we thought were were further further along towards their reopenings. I like that. Maybe overdoing it a little bit in terms of concerns. And we've maybe seen that in terms of price activity, a reflection of certainly to the upside and maybe now to the downside with the TNX of the one and a quarter percent. Uh, let's talk a little bit about all this considered. What are some of the changes that you've made to your holdings? And can you discuss some of the uh, recent positionings in terms of your portfolio? Sure. Yeah. So number one is we've been a we've been a big buyer uh, and a big holder of uh, traditional agency mortgage backed securities. Uh, we've been a big buyer of commercial mortgage-backed securities, uh, agency and non-agency. Uh, as rates have come down, what happens is the market becomes uh, overestimates or begins to estimate prepayment speeds. They say, well, rates are lower, people will refinance, that's going to be more prepayments. That's true. So because of that, the duration or the interest rate sensitivity of that bond, or that pool shrinks. We actually think that you know, this is a time to, we sold some of those uh, and we purchased into and raised our, our treasury exposure a bit. Uh, that may seem to some a little counterintuitive in the sense of where rates are. But one thing that we would, we would point out very, you know, very seriously is that from an asset allocation perspective, you have to rebalance the risk in the portfolio. And right now, the, the case, I can make a case for the, for the 10 year treasury being two or two and a quarter percent. But I also have to recognize as a bond investor, that's not going to happen in 2021. What could still happen in 2021 is that risk sells off some as a result of some declining uh, economic data or just some exhaustion from rallying so much for the past 12 months. Uh, that's when you need to have a balance in your portfolio and have that higher quality, you know, treasury exposure to 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 act, to act as the balance. So we want to make sure that our, you know, our whether it's our core plus fund or our corporate income fund that we're we're getting the yield and we're getting the total return the bond market can offer and then some but also that if there's a drawdown or a rough period that we stay within bounds also. All right, Scott, appreciate you joining us here and sharing some of your thoughts with us on, uh, well, a, a day where the Fed, you noted, uh, voted 11 to 0 uh, to leave uh, Fed fund rates as uh, expected. And I think many anticipated that, but certainly something to speak to and uh, appreciate you giving us part of your afternoon. Scott Kimball, co-head of fixed income at BMO Capital Asset Management.